For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom, whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The big reason we wanted to, to spend time in, in, in this prayer I think as you look over Paul's prayer, it's just encouraging to reflect upon. I think of the different elements that are, that are a part of this prayer, that one of the, the ways that Paul's prays is, is that we would be strengthened in our inner being. I just know for so many of us in this room and for those that are joining with us online, there are a lot of us that are weary. We're exhausted. We know that God is strengthening us. I just think about over this, this past week, over the past two weeks, I've probably received more news of people getting COVID than over the past previous two and a half years. I just know of the different news that has come to us, and fortunately for us, our boys haven't been in proximity to those at school, but just hearing from the news of, of the school of how many teachers are out because of COVID and how many students aren't on campus because of a positive diagnosis, and you just go, man, when is this going to end? Just even this morning, I got a text that let me know that an ex-husband of Athea in my family is in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and on oxygen, and you just go, just like every day? Just to know, for those of us that are exhausted and weary, that God is strengthening us. For those of us that maybe have the 3 a.m. time, you just wake up and you can't fall back asleep because everything that's just running through your mind, that God is strengthening our inner being. For those of us that maybe are disconnected, maybe today you're navigating loss, Maybe you're navigating tension in relationships. Maybe there's frustration with others that there would be this understanding, the breadth, the height, the length, the depth, the width of God's love for us. For those of us that are discouraged, that God is accomplishing abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. I don't know, for the past two and a half years, right, it's this place of, of seeing, so, seeing so much recede around us that you stop and you wonder, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Does this turn out okay? 
And remember at the start, right, of March 2020, I was texting a, a, another friend in, in ministry, and, and we were just talking about what, what the next few weeks might look like for us, and, and the response was is that, yeah, I have things planned out in case this goes through July. And the right, and interacting with one another and going, wow, you're going that far? You're planning that far out. So we so appreciated the songs that we sang this morning because one of the, the prophetic words that I've heard spoken over this community is that God is going to do something like a new wine and a new wineskin. And that sounds so promising. That sounds so exciting. But then you realize that the process of making new wine, as we sang, comes, comes along with crushing and the pressure that, that the route to resurrection always goes through death. And, and so in those seasons when it feels like things are restricting, I know that, that the common refrain amongst, amongst pastoral leaders is, is to tell one another, we are all church planters now. And, and even before Delta and Omicron, that we, what church communities were finding is that 40, 60% of their people were coming back together for worship with one another, and who knows what the stats are now as we are in yet another wave, and you just stop and you wonder, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And so we thought it'd be good to have a time where we just stop and we reflect on the fact that God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine that he is doing something, that he is faithful, that he is working. And, and, and the community that God desires to work through is his beloved church. That he is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And so we thought it would be good for us to spend a handful of weeks reflecting on this prayer. One of the things I would encourage you to do over the next handful of weeks is memorize this prayer. Be saturated in it. Let it be a point of encouragement. Let it be a point of, of challenge for you um, as you spend time with this prayer. Like I said, I wanted to first, um, for, at the launch of the series, to spend time in the first few verses here in verses 14 and 15. And one of the things that you'll notice as this prayer starts off is that Paul says, for this reason. What reason? What reason, Paul? It, what you'll notice is, as you look over the book of Ephesians, it's, it's really, you could break it down into two sections. There's Ephesians 1 through 3, and there's Ephesians 4 through 6. And, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, this climactic summary is, is what we're visiting. It's, it's this place in which Paul explores, again, chapters 1 through 3, and then at the end of chapter 3, he stops and he prays. Again, this prayer serves as a, as, as a summary. And one of the things that you'll notice is that the things that Paul prays for are things that he has already referenced earlier in his letter. If you guys ever been on Wikipedia, you'll notice that as you go through the article, there's all these what are called hyperlinks, 
right? So as you're reading through an article, you'll notice that there's a line underneath a sentence or, or there's a, a sentence that's highlighted in blue, and if you were to go and scroll over that or if you are on your mobile phone and then you put your finger over it, that that's going to then take you somewhere else as a way of, of more information. Here's what you should know when we talk about this in this article. And this prayer is almost, you can imagine, that it is just filled with hyperlinks back through the previous chapters of here. And so I'll bring it up on, on the screen, and so what you'll notice is that when Paul starts praying about in heaven and on earth, it's like this hyperlink that takes you back, where he, he starts referencing in, in chapter 1, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name which is named, and that we're seated, he's seated us in the heavenly realm. And when Paul prays about things being according to the riches of his glory, it's this hyperlink back to the previous chapters where he talks about according to the riches of his glory, the richness of the glory of his inheritance, the richness of his grace shown by kindness to us, the inexhaustible richness of the Messiah. When he talks about being strengthened in, in our inner beings by the power through his spirit, it's, again, it's this hyperlink back. When he prays that Christ may dwell within us, it's this hyperlink back. And we can continue to go. You can go to the next slide. What you'll see is when he prays about us being rooted and grounded in love, when we have the power to comprehend that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, what he's doing is he's taking us back and saying, we, we discuss these things. And, and I want to stop and I want to pray about them. By the way, on, on the front page of our website, I have linked, thanks to Dr. Uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, this great um, chart that just lets you see the ways that this prayer is actually this, this great summary of everything that's happening um, in, in the previous chapters. But the other thing that you'll notice is that when you look at verse 1 and verse 14 of chapter 3, you'll notice that Paul starts these two verses the exact same way, for this reason, for this reason. And the reason that he's, he's doing that is because I love the way that Beth Moore phrases it, is that by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on a rabbit chase in verse 1. What he does is that he, he, he writes out, more specifically, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And then he's about to pray. For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner. And then he stops. He goes, I should probably explain that. And so what ends up happening is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, is a big parenthetical statement that gives clarity and depth to what he just talked about in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. As he prays, he stops and he goes, let me, let me explain what I mean real quick, and then I'll come back to this prayer. And the reason that he does that is because there's a special connection for Paul and the Ephesians. Paul was in jail because when he was in Jerusalem preaching, he was accused of bringing Trophimus, the Ephesian man, into the temple with him. You look at Acts chapter 21, verses 28 and 29, this is the accusation being thrown out about Paul. It says he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled 
defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. Paul is quite literally a prisoner because of his relationship with the Ephesian. And that would likely cause a special burden on the Ephesian heart. That there would be something, a sense of, 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 of burden and weariness, of remorse. When you think about the fact that Paul is in jail specifically because of the way that he advocated for you. Specifically because of the way that he brought the good news to the Ephesians. You imagine them thinking, man, it's because of us that Paul is in prison. And so he makes space to stop and to say, no, listen, this is a good thing. Because what it means is that the good news is rattling the world. I'm in prison, and it is a tangible, tangible representation of how now you are slaves to Jesus. This is a good thing. And, and why would Paul be accused by those in Jerusalem of doing something so outrageous like bringing a Gentile into a Jewish sacred place because of the message that he's preaching. Listen to the things that he's saying in Ephesians chapter 1, that Gentiles have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that Gentiles are holy and blameless, that Gentiles have redemption through Jesus' blood, that Gentiles are adopted as children of Yahweh. You might imagine Paul walking around Jerusalem preaching a message like this that it would rile up the city. That it would cause a whole bunch of confusion and would cause a whole bunch of frustration. Because can you imagine stepping into a community of people and starting to, from their perspective, redefine generations upon generations of worship. And so they throw Paul in prison for it. And this is, this is the point of tension that Paul is wrestling with in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. What he's wrestling with is if the holy place the holy spaces of the temple were off limits to the Gentiles, then why do we believe that Gentiles are now the temple of God? Jesus is. Paul makes sure that, that he, he takes time to say that, that Jesus fulfilled all the laws that were given to God's people. And in doing so, because in, in, in chapter 2, verses 11, 22, he talks about this, this dividing wall of hostility. And from Jerusalem's perspective, Paul was bringing Gentiles 
through a wall that they were never supposed to cross over into the holy spaces of the temple. That Paul was bringing the Gentiles into this place that they had no right to be into. And so he prays, or so he, he writes to us and lets us know, look, because of Jesus, we now have access. We now get to be in, all, in, in these spaces. And I tell you that that created so much tension in the early church. And that created so much tension in places like Jerusalem. Because what, what, you, what you discover is, is that God's plan was, let me select Israel, and through my relationship with them, they will become a blessing to all of the nations. But rather than being a people that love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbor as themselves, rather than being a people that acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly, they acted like us. Or they rebelled against God. And, and rather than it, it, the, the law being given to them being a point of compassion and mission for the world around them, it became a point of pride. And so now there was hostility. There was division. Israel and the nations were against one another rather than it being this beautiful place where God was bringing people being united together. And it was through Jesus that he not only breaks down this, this wall that didn't allow people into the most holy of spaces, he actually breaks down this wall of hostility amongst the nations to create within himself a new people. And so this is what I would hope for us to do just for a moment, and then we'll go forward with the rest of the message. Let's read it as one big thought. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, and it'll flow right into Paul's prayer. And you'll see how it becomes this beautiful expression where Paul just stops and he just, he just gives God thanks for the ways that, God, that Jesus brings an end to hostility and division. This is what he's, Paul writes. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. What a real love, loving term of endearment, right? You were the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him by the blood or through the blood of, of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups together. As one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. 
He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As you were being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you have made have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, by the power at work within us, be able to, who's able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul goes through this incredible explanation of the, the way that Jesus has given access to us to dwell with him and for him to dwell with us and for the ways that he has broken down walls of hostility and in that moment, he stops. For this reason, I bow. I bow. I'm going to have the, some of the guys come out here. Um, they're going to help me out with this next um, space. In, in the, the book of Psalms, what you'll notice is there's, they'll often um, come across, you'll come across these words, uh, this word that says, Selah. And that word means to pause. It means to meditate. It means to stop and to be soaked and saturated in what was just said. It's this point in which you just stop and you say, this is what I need to just sit with. What I need to brew in. What I need to dwell in. And, and, and that's what this prayer is for Paul is that he lays out this incredible space that we get to live in as followers of Jesus, and he can't go any further. We have to just stop. We have to sit in this. We have to simmer in it. We have to be someone that just lets this become who we are. And so... He, he says, I bow. What he does there by saying, I bow, is that he's actually saying, if, if, if this is the reason that I'm bowing, then it's also an invitation and a challenge to us. We also need to bow. 
we also need to take on this same posture because we are also encountering the same information that he gave to us. This is an act for Paul of awe and surrender. This is an act for Paul that, that he would just stop and to say, I need this to, be, to actually completely overcome who I am. I need this to overwhelm me. I need to surrender to this. I, I need my life to, 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 to bake in this. I love the way that Eugene Peterson talks about prayer. Listen to the way that Eugene Peterson talks about prayer. He says that this physical act of bowing my knees before the Father is an act of reverence. It is an also an act of voluntary defenselessness. While on my knees, I cannot run away. I cannot assert myself. I place myself in a position of willed submission, vulnerable to the will of the person before whom I am bowing. It is an act of retreating from the action so that I can perceive what the action is without me in it without me taking up space, without me speaking my peace. On my knees, I am no longer in a position to flex my muscles, strut or cover, or strut or cower, hide in the shadows or show off on the stage. I become less so that I can become more, so I can become aware of more. I assume a posture that lets me see in real what reality looks like without distorting the lens of either my, of my timid avoidance or my aggressive domination. I set my agenda aside for a time and become still present to God. And Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 21 is our act of bowing. It's our act of surrender. It's our place where we come before the Lord and we tell him, God, I, I, I can no longer be the same person because of what was revealed here. I, I can no longer be this, the same man anymore. I can't go on, keep living like this anymore. I need, I need to be transformed. I need to be changed. I can't, I can't go on living this same way anymore. And so what we pray that would happen to us is that what Paul talks about here, this seasoning that he, he discusses here, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship from the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises of God. But Christ himself has brought us peace. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and his regulations. Our hostility towards one another was put to death. You are citizens, along with all of God's people. You are citizens. You Gentiles are made part of this dwelling place. The communication from Paul is that this isn't just simply information that we read. 
this isn't simply something that we, we read and then go on unchanged. But it's this place of saying, God, our lives are meant to be submerged in this. Our lives are meant to be transformed by this. That what would happen is that, that, that who you are would get deep down into the inner being of who we are. That the language of Paul's prayer here is the language of being flooded. That the language of Paul's prayer here is that this language of just saying that what would happen to you is that you would be swimming in this. That what would happen to you is that you would be flooded by this. That what would happen to you is that as you just recall the goodness of God, what he has done for you, man, it's not just so much, I don't know about you guys, but it's the more that I spend time with Christ, the more that I realize that what I don't want to have happen in my life is just exterior change. I, what I don't want to have happen in my life with Christ is for him to fix all of the exterior things of my life. What I need to have happen in my life is for him to change the inside. Because what ends up happening in those spaces is that I can navigate whatever the circumstances of life are is because he has strengthened my inner being. And when Paul prays here in the book of Ephesians and in this incredible doxology that he ends it with, in verses 20 and 21, what is he saying? Not that he would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine in the world around us or fix all of our circumstances. What you'll notice that he does is he says that he would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine within us. Within us. You could be a different person. You can become a changed person. Your life, your inner life can be different. That you can be a person that amidst all of life's struggles and challenges, amidst all of the different disasters that take place in the world around us, amidst all the hostility that exists in the world around us, that we can be different. We can embody something different in the world around us. But what does it take to do that? How do we get to that space? It's what Paul says here at the start of this chapter, or at the start of this prayer. For this reason, I bow. I bow my knees. I stop. I say, I, I need to be soaked in this. I need to be completely submerged in this. I need to cook in this. On our own, we cannot live this out. So we pray. For this reason, we bow our knees. Our knees. We need God's Spirit to equip us so we can stand strong against the divisive forces of the world and its ways. And this prayer becomes a pivot point where we'd stop and we'd say, be saturated. Don't go too fast. Don't rush through this. Be saturated in it. Sit within it. And the pivot point 
is that Paul will start changing the way that he starts writing to the, the church of Ephesus in verses in chapters four through six, and he'll start using words like walk and stand from that point on. It's this point of, of saying, like, look at all that Jesus has done for you, simmer in it. Let it be something that transforms who you are. Let it get down deep into your inner being. Don't rush through this. And then you're going to live differently. You're going to be a different person. A person who then prioritizes this understanding that God has brought an end to hostility. And he's made a new people. And so he makes sure that the first thing that he prays is to say that for this reason I bow my knees. And what he prays in that moment is, is to say, before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth takes its name. He bows down and he takes this posture of prayer. And then the first point of reflection in this prayer is, God, you're doing something where you're making a new people. And so the, the, the thing that you'll see expressed in chapters four through six is this. I'll bring up on, on stage, I mean on the screen. You, you had an old way of living that was defined by lies, anger, theft, gossip, revenge, promiscuity, drunkenness. But this new life It'll be defined by truth, not anger, but peace, not theft, but generosity, not gossip, but encouragement, not revenge, but, for, but forgiveness, not promiscuity, but self-control, and not drunkenness, but being filled by God's Spirit. And this prayer is the pivot point. This is the hinge. This is the foundation. Be a people that seeks to just sit and to be present with God, recalling all that he's done and being in a place where saying, God, change me. I love the way that, again, Tim Mackey talks about it. He says, Ephesians teaches that the gospel makes a way for a new multi-ethnic family of God, transforming how we live as a new humanity unified in love. Let's dwell here. Brittany, would you come back up on stage? Let's pray. Before we pray, let me just make mention. Um, I put my, my carnitas recipe on the front page of the website as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll plug it. I do have a cord actually ready to go over here. Um, yeah, so the directions are all, all on the front page of the website. But again, just, just this place of... Left to ourselves, we would just be like that rotting piece of meat. Right? But, but the, the hope and the prayer is, is that by what Christ does is, is that we would be transformed. That who he is would get down deep into who we are. Jesus, we pray, may we be because of your power, because of your spirit, a changed people. May we be a people that are made new.
And Lord, we confess we cannot do it on our own. We cannot make this change happen. But what we do, like Paul, is take on a new posture. And our posture is one of surrender. Where we say, God, not our way, not our will, but your way and your will be done. Through the power of your spirit, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. You can make us a new people in the image that we would be made in to look like your son Jesus. I mean, that it, it is exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. You can do more in us, not only just in us personally, but as a community, you can do more in us than we could have ever imagined. And so, Lord, we thank you for those of us that have been walking with you for decades, for years upon years, for those of us that have just begun a new relationship with you. Father, what we thank you for is that we are not who we we used to be. We are not who who we once were. And that is because of your grace. And so we give you thanks for that. Continue that good work of making us more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me and let's worship.